pour out our praise. We pour out our oh, praise. Sorry, guys, that's my bad. Hold on. Well, it's the worship through music. And Father, I pray again that those are just more than words that we say. The Lord, it's truly the attitude and the actions that are reflected in our life. And so, Lord, be with us as we open up your word. Help us to study, to show ourselves approved. Help us to hear what the Spirit would say, that we would live a life that would honor and obey you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, take just a few moments there, and you can greet one another. And at this time, all children go to Children's Church. May I exit. All right, well, again, I want to say good morning to you. We're going to go ahead and get to a time of God's Word. I want to ask, go ahead, grab your hymn, uh, Bibles, goodness, hymnals. Ask you, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 together. And as you're going there, I did forget one other announcement this morning, and that is this. We're going to have core group training at 3 o'clock today. Okay, so... If you are interested in discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple who makes disciples, uh, you can join us at 3 o'clock here, and we will walk through it. It's about 90 minutes to at most two hours, uh, but it it is foundational. My, my conviction is that it is foundational to our growth in Christ. So... Hopefully, we'll see more of you at 3 o'clock uh, this afternoon. But as we continue walking through our series of Who is Jesus, this morning we're going to focus on the humanity of Jesus. And we will spend uh, another week here in a few weeks, I believe, 
talking about how he was also God. Uh, but, you know, over the past several years, there, there's been a company that's had some commercials that were pretty funny. And one of them is about this guy who is giving out all sorts of medical uh, terminology and advice at the scene uh, of an accident. Somebody looks and goes, are, are you a doctor? And he says, no, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You know, I don't know why, but those Holiday Inn Express commercials cracked me up. But, I mean, let's just be honest. If you were facing a major surgery this week, who would you want doing that surgery? Somebody that spent 12 years in school and has gone through it and knew what they were doing? Or somebody who thought they knew what they were doing? Let me ask you this way. Who is more capable of helping us make decisions and live a life that pleases God, us or God? I mean, if we're really honest, we always say that we want the best. But when it comes to living in a right relationship with God, when it comes to making sound decisions, we often trust ourselves rather than God. But what we need to understand is this, that God is the creator of our life. He's the very one that formed and knit us in our mother's womb. He's the one that sustains our life. He gives us spiritual life. He is the one that knows everything that's ever going to come into our life. You know, the prophet Isaiah says that God knows the end from the beginning. There's never going to be a time in your life, my life, or the existence of the world that God is going to go, wow, I didn't see that coming. There's never going to be that time. There's never going to be something that takes God by surprise. But I mean, if we're really honest, we don't go through a week without something jumping up and going, man, I never saw that coming. And so why would we trust ourselves when all we know is what's right in front of us instead of trusting the one who saw it coming long before it was ever on our radar? Not only did God see it coming, but he has the answer that we need. See, the one big thing this morning is this, that Jesus understands our life because he has lived with us. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 41, and I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Father, you have given the Holy Spirit to each of your children that they may be guided into the truth. But the Spirit also continues to work and to seek those that are far from you, to convict them of their sin, that they would see their need for Jesus and that they would surrender their heart and life to you. And so, Lord God, we ask that through your word, your spirit would convict us of our sin, of the need for you if anyone here is not saved. But, Lord, also that the spirit would strengthen and encourage the saints to walk with you and to grow with you. Lord God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, the one big thing this morning is this, that Jesus understands our life because he has lived with us. There are three things that we're going to see about Jesus' humanity. And before we start, I want to just say that Jesus is the only person who has a dual nature. And what this means is simply this, that Jesus was both 100% God and he was 100% man simultaneously. Now this is a truth so uh, glorious, so incredible, that our minds cannot wrap around that. Nevertheless, we must accept it because it is what Scripture teaches And so there in Philippians 2 where Paul says in Jesus emptied himself, what he means is that Jesus chose to set aside some of his attributes of God. He chose not to exercise them, but he always had them. You see, if Jesus didn't have all the attributes of God, then he would cease to be God. And so what we want to understand is, is that Jesus is similar to us in his humanity, but he is altogether different and greater than us in the fact that he is God. But this morning, again, we're going to focus on his humanity. So what do we learn about the humanity of Jesus in this text? Well, the first thing that we see is this. He was a normal kid. Now, again, this is just out there in our minds. When we think of God... We think of someone who is all-powerful and all-knowing. Remember, nothing takes God by surprise. Yet what we see in verse 52 specifically is this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That means that Jesus grew four ways. It means that he grew intellectually, he grew physically, spiritually, and relationally. Now, why did Jesus have to increase in those things? Because as a man, he was experiencing them for the first time himself. He was literally living the life that you and I experience, minus one thing, he never sinned. So Jesus had to grow in these things. He had to learn what it means To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And to love others as Christ, as your neighbor. 
So Jesus is growing in these areas. And by the way, a healthy person grows in those same four ways. Intellectually, spiritually, physically, and relationally. Part of the growth process comes through pain. When we're first born, we're kind of tiny. How many of you remember as you were growing up having growing pains? Like anybody ever have somebody have to give you some Tylenol or kind of rub your legs because they hurt so bad? Now, how many of you liked that pain? How many of you wanted to get taller? Guess what? Growth comes at a cost. If you and I are going to grow, we are going to experience some difficulties. But those difficulties are actually God purifying his children. It is God's intention to grow us in these ways spiritually. Again, if you want to walk with God, if you want to have a dynamic relationship with God, you're going to go through some difficulties. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. Why? Because growth comes with a cost. How many of you have perfect relationships with everybody that you know? How many of you can, can honestly look at some people and go, you know what? You're testing the Jesus in me right now. Okay, the funny thing is sometimes husbands and wives look at each other. And most of the time it's the parents looking at the kids. But if we're going to grow relationally, if we're going to learn to love others as ourselves, guess what? We're going to have to learn how to deal with difficult relationships. Because our human relationships are an indicator of our relationship with God. And so we have to learn how to grow in these things. And so Jesus teaches us what it means to grow in those four areas. And we learn that it comes with a cost. That growth doesn't happen unless there's intention. Evidence that we are living in a right relationship with Jesus is that we will love God and we will love others. That we will grow in those four areas ways. And all of those things ought to point us to Christ. See, growing physically, do you understand that from the moment of conception, all the DNA you would ever have was encapsulated in that beginning, that origin of life? The expression of hair color, eye color, personality, all of those things is present at the moment of conception do we really believe that the incredible mechanisms that are the human body that they're just by random chance I mean the, the hormonal and physical changes that even a woman's body goes through for pregnancy and how when she delivers it goes back down to pre-pregnancy do we really believe that's by chance everything about our bodies and our physical life ought to point us to our creator, Christ. Spiritually, we ought to be learning about Jesus. You've heard me say this so many times.
many times. If you ever read the Bible and you are the hero, you are reading the wrong Bible. The hero of Scripture, the hero of life is always Jesus. How do I grow intellectually? Every study I do should draw me closer and teach me more about God. History teaches us about the sovereignty and the providence of God. Science teaches us about the gloriousness and the complexity of God. Math teaches us about who God is. Why? Because he's a God of order. And so as we grow intellectually, it should lead us into a deeper worship of God. And our relationships, it teaches about God. I mean, let's just think about the husband-wife relationship. If you read Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 35, this is what we learn, okay? The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The wife is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. So even the marriage is to teach us about Christ. The relationship between children and parents, okay, is to teach us about our relationship with God. So all of life must teach us and draw us closer and deeper in our worship of God. This is normal. This is what's expected in our life and what's needed. Not only that, the second thing we learned about Jesus' humanity is this, that he had a sense of his purpose. Now, only in the Gospel of Luke do we get this story. We don't know much about the adolescent life of Jesus. We see him prophesied. We've got his birth. We got him when he's eight days old. And then Luke drops this story about when Jesus was 12. The next time we see Jesus is, again, the Gospel of Luke, when he's beginning his ministry, about 30 years old. But what we see in this verse, in this passage, is this. Jesus had an overwhelming sense of his purpose. Now the thing is, Jesus is 12. That's what the scripture says. For a Jewish male, he was still a child. A Jewish male would not become a man until his 13th year. And what would be known as the bar mitzvah. All right, that means he is a son of the commandment. He was responsible for his choices in his life. So Jesus here is still considered a child in Jewish culture. But he knew who he was. And he knew why he came. Let me ask you this way. How many of you at 12 years old knew exactly what you were going to do with your life? Most of, I mean, let's be honest. Some 20-year-olds still don't have a clue what they're going to do with their life. Okay? Now, now here's the, the thing. Look at what happens here in verse 4. 46. By the way, this is one of the most ironic stories in all of Scripture. It makes me laugh. And it came to pass after, that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Three days. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, the Son of God, for three days. You felt like a bad parent when you couldn't find your kid for 30 seconds in the department store because he hid up under a clothes rack. I mean, this, again, this is just a humorous story to me. Can you imagine the panic Mary and Joseph had to have? I mean, you just lost God. The Son of God is missing for three 
days. And they find him in the temple. And, and pick it up, verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? I love this. They lost Jesus and they blamed Jesus. I mean, we, we would never do that, right? We as parents never blame the kid. All right. Why have you done? Behold, thy father and I sought thee sorry. We were anxiously searching for you. Your father and I. Now notice verse 49. Here it is. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished you not? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must not that I have to be in my father's house. Jesus wasn't disrespecting Joseph here. He was going, Mary, Mom, did you forget who I was? Did you forget why I came? Mom, I'm not really your son. You, you get the privilege of, of raising me, but I'm going to die for you, Mom. That's why on the cross, he says, Woman, behold thy son. He again at the end of his life is going, Mom, do you understand why I came? Jesus at 12 years old knew his purpose was to come to seek and save that which was lost. And maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea what your purpose in life is. I may not be able to tell you exactly 100% how God is going to use you to glorify God. But I can use two texts in the New Testament that will show what your purpose in life is. All right, first one is this, Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus in that passage is saying this, don't seek after the things that the world's going after. Don't chase after jobs. Don't chase after money. Don't chase after marriage and and family and, and possessions. Jesus saying, if you are a child of God, chase after me. Pursue the kingdom. Pursue Jesus. And here's the great promise in that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What other things was Jesus talking about? The same passage, he says, don't worry about food, clothing, or shelter. He says, your father knows you need those things. He says, God knows what you physically need, but you are created not for the physical things, but for the spiritual relationship with Jesus. Pursue Jesus and his kingdom above all else. I'll take care of the rest. And so I just want to ask you a question. Are you pursuing Jesus above everything else? Because if you're not, you'll never be a good spouse, a good parent, a good employee, a good boss. Because you will be chasing after the created instead of the creator. Are you pursuing Jesus? Here's the second text. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, in the Greek, it literally says, as you are going... Make disciples. This, this is more than door-to-door uh, evangelism. This is more than Billy Graham-style evangelism crusades. 
When Jesus says, as you are going, he's going, wherever you go in life, make disciples. What does this mean for you and I today? It means that when we go to the ballpark, it's a mission field. That when I go to work, that's a mission field. When I go to Kroger, that's a mission field. Wherever I go, God is placing me in the mission field to share the gospel with those around me. As you are going, make disciples. And the number one place that has to start is in the home. I don't have time to go, go down this road too far. But too often we get so caught up in making disciples out in the community that we forget to make them in our own home. Responsibility's got to start at home. And it's a natural outflow from there. But as we are going, we are making disciples. We are always praying, Lord, give me a chance to share the gospel and to show the gospel to somebody. Help me grow to know you and to make you known. The third thing that we see about Jesus in this text is this. He modeled submission. Jesus' ultimate submission was to his Father. Back to matter in John uh, chapter 6, Jesus said, I did not come to do the will of him who sent me. I did not come to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's why Jesus says, did you not know I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? Jesus knew he came to do the will of his father. It's why there in the Garden of Gethsemane he prayed three times, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus willingly and voluntarily placed himself under the authority and under the plan of his father. And here's the thing. He knew how it was going to end. Jesus knew the moment he stepped out of glory into Bethlehem. He knew what was waiting for him about 32, 33 years later. He knew that he was going to be beaten, mocked, spit upon, and crucified. But because of his submission to his father's plan. He willfully came and laid his life down that you and I might be saved. He modeled the fact that submission will cost us everything. See, salvation is a free gift, Scripture says. But sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, will cost you everything. We will have to learn what Jesus said and meant. Not my will, but your will be done. And so I would ask this, this question. Have you submitted every area of your life to the authority of Jesus Christ? You see, whatever you're holding on to control of right now, that's where Satan's going to hit you. We have to learn... To live open-handedly which simply means this nothing in this world I bring simply to the cross I claim everything I've been given comes from you take it and use it as you choose my life is in your hands 
my marriage, my family, my job, my retirement, my health, my possessions. I would lose them all as long as I could have you. Is that how we're living right now? J.D. Greer, a pastor down at Summit Church, says it this way. Have you written a blank check to God? Have you given it to Him? Whatever and wherever, I'm yours. This is the submission that God calls us to. And it's a submission that's difficult. But here's the thing. Love is evidenced by obedience. John would write it this way. If a man says that he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For how can you love God whom you've not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? What does this mean? It means that my relationship with other people is an indicator of my relationship with God. What, what we see in, in verse 51, it says, And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. That is, that Jesus submitted to his parents. Jesus here is fulfilling the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus knew that by honoring Mary and Joseph, he was truly honoring God. By submitting to them, he was submitting to God. Why? Because our moms and dads, they are the first people who exercise authority over us. Our parents are supposed to represent God to us. And for that very reason, I'll put it this way. If you show me somebody who struggles to submit to any authority, whether it's parents a boss, whoever is in charge over you, a person who struggles to submit to authority on earth. And I will show you a person who is struggling to submit to the authority of God. So how are we doing in submitting to those that God has placed over us? And by the way, that's not saying that those over us on earth always do the right thing. All right, they're sinners just like we are. But as long as they're not calling us to violate Scripture, we're called to be subject to them. Why? Because it's a reflection of our love and trust of God. So how do we apply this verse? Two ways. I want you to know this. Jesus understands us. God is altogether different from us. But in his earthly life, he shows us what life is supposed to be. Jesus came to earth, he took on humanity, he walked in our shoes. He experienced the same pressures that you and I do. This is why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus was tempted like we were. He experienced the same emotions that we do. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry and tired and frustrated and angry and sad. Jesus experienced all of that. Go read the Gospels. But here is the difference. All right, Hebrews 4, 15 again. We do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points as we were, yet without sin. Jesus showed us, modeled for us, how we live a submitted life to God 
can avoid giving in to temptation, which leads to sin. See, the reality is temptation is a part of life. Jesus was himself tempted. Go read Matthew 4. But in it, he told us, he showed us how we can not give in to that temptation and breed sin. God has given us two glorious gifts to avoid giving in to sin. The first is prayer. You know, when Jesus died on that cross, it says that the veil was torn in two there in the Holy of Holies and separating the most holy place, uh, the holy place from the most holy place. Why? It was symbolic of giving us direct access to God. That at any time that you and I need to or want to, we can go directly to God. We can pull up a chair and go, Father, I need to talk. We have that opportunity. And and let me say this, before we talk to other people, we first got to talk to God. That's a gift to be able to, to go to the creator of everything. I mean, when you sit, when you and I sit down and we begin to pray, do we really grasp who we're talking to? Yes, we're talking to a best friend. That, that, that's absolutely true. But we're talking to somebody much greater than a best friend. We're talking to the person who created everything. The, the one who holds everything in his hands. The very one who can give us not, not always the answer we want, but always the answer we need. I can go, I, I can go talk to, to people about, man, I got this problem. What do we think we, can, we ought to do? And they're going to have a lot of opinions on it, and it's good. Listen, Proverbs eleven fourteen. there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Don't be a lone ranger, or you will get devoured by the wolf. Whole another sermon for another Sunday, let's go. But I can go to God, and I can say, Holy Father, you have the answer Show it to me. You know what he's going to do? He's not going to give you a bright and flashing neon sign. Or at least I've never seen it yet. He may not even speak audibly. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to speak to his word. When you and I go pray, the second gift he has given us is his word. Listen to what David writes, Psalm 119, verses 9 and then verse 11. How shall a young man keep his life clean? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God has given us his word so that we can know him and know how to deal with the temptations that come in our life. Later in that same chapter, David writes this, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I need wisdom to make a decision that will glorify God, all I got to do is get into the word of God and trust the spirit of God. These are gifts that God has given us. But in saying all of this, another aspect of Jesus understanding us is this. He knew we were going to rebel against him. Adam and Eve's sin did not take God by surprise. Our sin does not take God by surprise. He knew it was coming. He knew we wouldn't be able to keep the law. And that's why the plan from the foundation of the world was to send a substitute as our Savior. Jesus Christ not our good works not our effort not trying to be a good person God sent Jesus because there was no other way 
we are insufficient, he is sufficient. So Jesus understands who we are. And because he understands us, the second point of application is this. We need to follow Jesus' example. He has modeled for us perfectly what it means to live in a right relationship with Jesus, to live with God. He has modeled it for us. I don't have to go, well, I think I could do this and that would please God. I can look at the life of Jesus. I can read God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, it reveals who God is and, and what's necessary to please Him. You know, we, it, years and years ago, they had that uh, slogan, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, I think it's... We need to still ask that question. But I think we've got to not just stop asking, well, what would He do? And then actually do it. Follow his example. Jesus modeled love, grace, mercy, holiness, justice, submission. If I want to know who God is, all I have to do is look in the life of Jesus. And I will know him. So my question is, what evidence is there in your life that you're saved if you're claiming to be saved? And the fact of the matter is, anybody can say, I'm a Christian. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That evidence. Have you surrendered and submitted every aspect of your life to Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus first and foremost? If not, this is going to be an opportunity for you to confess that before God. And know that scripture says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You may have come in here broken, but by God's grace and his love, you can leave whole. Because all we need is Jesus. Would you stand as we're going to pray together? Fathers, we continue to move through this service, we count it a joy and a privilege to be able to serve you, but more importantly, just to know you. And Father, you have clearly revealed what it means to be in a right relationship with you and how to live in that right relationship. And so, Father, we just want to ask the question, are we living the life that you have called us to? Are we doing things the way we know you told us to? And if not, Lord, would we just confess it, even the quietness of this moment? Would we begin to cry out to you that it's never too late to cry out to God? As long as there's breath in the body, there's hope for the soul. And so, Lord, for those who are hurt and those who are broken, those who are scared, confused, whatever, 
Lord, may they come to you. Help us to worship you by responding to you and what we've learned about you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song together. It's an opportunity you can come up here and pray, pray in the front pew. Let's just respond to God and worship in obedience.